Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. This episode of Green and Gold History is presented by New Era. New Era Cap is proud to be the official cap of your Oakland athletics. Next time you visit the Coliseum, be sure to drop by the New Era Cap stand to pick up your A's New Era Authentic Collection Cap. Remember, you can always visit us at NewEraCap.com to shop our latest selection, including our limited edition and exclusive drops. New Era Cap, the official on-field cap of Major League Baseball. We have reached episode 17. Hard to believe this is the last time we're going to visit with Steve Vucinich. Memories with Vuce. As Vuce retires after 54 years with the ball club, he's been with them since 1968. And this weekend, Vuce, uh, you will be honored on Sunday as the A's wrap up the home portion of their schedule. I mean, that certainly has got to put a lot of things in perspective. It's a well-deserved honor. I'm looking forward to seeing the celebration of your work with the club. But uh, it certainly brings it into focus for you, doesn't it? It does, and I'm going to be overwhelmed by this thing, and I just want to get through Sunday. Believe me, I've got family and friends coming from all over the country uh, to uh, be here and witness this and maybe to make sure I don't change my mind. I don't know, but um, I'm, I'm thrilled by it, but uh, nervous about it too. So many memories and so many stories, and you've been so kind to share those with us over the years. As we record this, the A's on Thursday have Chris Bassett on the mound against the uh, Seattle Mariners. And what a story. Just a month ago, a hit in the head in Chicago. And he's back on the mound. And it's reminiscent of thinking about what happened with Brandon McCarthy, although much different because Brandon walked off the field in 2012. Then things went sideways, ended up having a brain surgery, but came back to pitch again. It's just part of all the things that you've witnessed with the A's. Of how ex- I don't know if excited is the right word, but what does it mean to see Chris Bassa back out there and pitching for the A's? Well, not only will he give us a good effort, I don't know how long it can last, but it's important for Chris Bassett himself to prove that he can go out there, uh, not be intimidated by being on a mound without a screen. He threw a uh, simulated game the other day without a screen, said he had no thoughts about it, uh, although I don't know if I can believe that. But um, but uh, I think it's important for us. Maybe it's a shot in the arm maybe we can, that we can use, and maybe he can go out there and throw five, six shutout innings. So the, the athletics wrapping up the home portion of the schedule and looking for, you know, an outside shot at this point to try to get to the postseason. All the postseasons, Vuce, you know, the, the World Series years in the 70s and then going back in the late 80s and early 90s and all the different seasons where the A's did have postseasons. Uh, that's got to bring a smile to your face and thinking about those 
celebrations and those opportunities to really uh, enjoy the camaraderie of a baseball season and reward the team and also re- reward the fan base here in Oakland. Absolutely. We've had many celebrations from winning a division to clinching a wild card. We had two and three days the year that uh, we won the uh, uh, wild card and then two days later win the uh, division from the Texas Rangers in 2012. Um, But uh, I I still say our biggest celebration was the year 2000. We hadn't been in the playoffs in some eight years at that point. Had a whole bunch of new guys that uh, I don't think they overachieved, but they kind of surprised themselves too. And Art Howe was a great manager for us, and and it was a celebration like no other in the clubhouse. In fact, uh, just to get things cleaned up and starting at 5 o'clock in the morning, I actually crashed in the clubhouse, didn't even go home. So I had people coming in to suck all the champagne, the water, the beer, and everything out of the carpet. So it was a special celebration. But we've had quite a few, and uh, the next one means the most. You think about all the players that have played for the A's and then they've come back in other uniforms, and we're watching it this week unfold. Boost with Sean Doolittle, who meant so much to the A's in 2012 and beyond. Uh, he's a pitcher in relief now for Seattle, and I always get a kick out of those players now in a different uniform that make their way back into the A's clubhouse well before batting practice starts on that given day, and they spend some time with you and spend some time with their former teammates. Uh, there, there has to be a thought about what that has meant, knowing that their connection to the A's still means so much to them, no matter what uniform they might be wearing at that moment. You know, especially with guys that came through the organization. I, I was told years ago that players go to another organization, whether you go in the Yankees or the Dodgers from Kansas City or Milwaukee, it's your first organization always treats you the best. And I've heard a lot of players say that, even though they're with a better club now, a club that spends more money, has more amenities in their home stadium. We like to think of the Coliseum being a cozy little place, and that's why we had good teams that bonded together, and now we've opened it up, and we've got a bigger clubhouse, and we've gone from the smaller, smallest home clubhouse in baseball to the largest. Uh, our old clubhouse is now a big and major league uh, weight room and for conditioning and weights and everything. And, and so players come back, and like Doolittle just the uh, last couple of days came back, couldn't believe how we could transform all that, and he wished it was like that when he was here. But to see Sean come back, see him come back, this is the first time he's ever played against the A's other than spring training was with Cincinnati this year and hadn't been back to the Coliseum since we had traded him. Uh, he's a perfect example. Since Kurt Suzuki comes over to my office every time he's in town. A lot of players do that. What's that been like? I've witnessed it from afar, looking through the glass of your office on the bottom floor here at the Coliseum and seeing countless players, coaches, managers, executives sit down and just a chance to kind of chew the fat with you and talk about times in Oakland and talk about life in general with them and the and their families. Well, my 54 years are probably coming in making sure that if I write a book, they're not in it. But <laughs> uh, I, got the, I got that the other day from one of our former players. It, it's nice. It's nice. It's, it's a big league feeling. It's, it's a feather in my cap when they come in and they want to talk. And it could be anybody from a, from a coach, a manager, uh, a player, a trainer, or even an executive. So, um, like I said, it's, it's very touching for me. And uh, I welcome that all the time. And that's one of the things I'm going to miss the most. I don't want to get you emotional at this time, but certainly with the flood of memories of you know seven decades and 54 years with the A's, there's no way to avoid it. But as you get ready to leave this part of your time with the A's, I know you'll be back in spring training 2022 with the A's at Mesa. But as you kind of disassemble your side of the clubhouse and your office and you pack up stuff, one final time to bring it you know, home maybe to Arizona or even to your house that you have here 
uh, in the East Bay. When you take that one piece of memorabilia down off the wall, what's going to jump off the page most for you? That's a good question. Um, it might be the picture that I have with Catfish and I. It might be a picture from uh, Tombstone, Arizona with Walt Jockety and Billy uh, Martin in the uh, one of the old saloons there in downtown Tombstone. Um, any, any of those pieces. I gave away a piece yesterday. I had a, a friend of mine who's a graphic artist in Hollywood did a remake of a Catfish Hunter card and layered it up, and it was about two feet by three feet, and I just donated it to Helen Hunter to the Catfish Hunter ALS Foundation golf tournament that she's got. And uh, so now there's a big blank spot on my wall, but I wanted to get it to her in time for the tournament, which is a, a week after next. So there, there are things there. I think it's just a combination. I've been cleaning out a couple of lockers, a couple of drawers, and I'm wondering why I kept this at one time, but knew there had to be a reason when I did. Uh, I'm throwing away a lot of stuff, and I'm donating a lot of stuff to the Ace Community Fund. So many things have changed over the years, Vuce. You know, going back to 1968, not only the game, but the way the game is played and the way the game is presented, and also the uniforms that the A's have worn over the years. Uh, as you look back on how that has evolved, what brings a smile to your face? Is there a particular uniform style that you maybe wish could have gotten one more look here with the A's and bring back some great nostalgia? Well, we've done some turn-back-the-clock games with the sleeveless uniform, and I'm a favorite fan of that. Uh, we had that the first three, four years here in Oakland. Um, and then we went to the double knit as everybody else did and the multicolors and the striping on the pants and so forth. But uh, we've done those and turn back the clock. And if you do it right, I'm, I've been proposing for a few years and nobody's jumped on it, a white and with green pinstripes sleeveless uniform. I think I've had some prototypes made up. I've got a friend of mine who's a graphic artist who's gone ahead and drawn that up for me. It's a good look. But uh, my favorite still right now would be the white-on-white white we're wearing now. To me, it's just a class baseball uniform. And certainly with the Oakland and script or the athletics and script, it, it, just, it just oozes classic baseball, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, there's a, a lot of baseball played with that jersey all the way back to when we brought it back about 1987. So, Vuce, you're leaving, and you started in 1968. Uh, your relationship with Mickey Morbido, who's the A's director of team travel, he came from the Yankees here in 1980 when Billy Martin came, and he has stayed. And uh, you two mean so much to this organization. This club does not get from point A to point B without you two in lockstep and working together and getting the equipment there and getting the A's travel all put together. Uh, here's a, a relationship and, and a friendship that you know has you know gone on for decades. What, what does that mean when I bring up Mickey Morbido's name to you? Well, I first met Mickey when he was with the Yankees. And then when Billy came over, he started asking me, hey, who's in this position, who's in that position? This is 1980. So I found a way to bring Mickey over as a traveling secretary and director of PR. And Mickey and I became friends. We were both single at the time and hung out together. I didn't travel full-time then, but uh, uh, we saw enough of each other and dinners and drinks and things uh, when a team was home and even during the winter. So uh, Mickey, who is actually older than I am, I don't know about how many year, more years he's going to go, but... Uh, he does a great job with the travel, cares about the players, cares about the staff. Uh, we've only stayed at the best hotels and have good airlines. And, you know, I got a first-class seat next to me and, and, and an empty one. And now when I travel during the winter on Southwest from Phoenix to Oakland, I'm sitting next to somebody else as a coach seat. I go, ooh! <laughs> but uh, in all truth, is, uh, Mickey will be fine without me. Uh, I have found long, long time ago that nobody's irreplaceable. And uh, the guy that will probably be traveling the most of the time next year is Matt Weiss, and he's well-versed in the travel and what has to be done with the equipment and has a good relationship with Mickey also. I, I wonder what your 
memories are because you started as a teenager in 1968 and worked your way up, you know, in the A's clubhouse on the visiting side and coming back to the home side. All the kids that became men, all the kids that started families, all the different relationships you've had with some of those people that are still with this club today. Uh, what are your memories about thinking about that? And even the group of guys you mentioned, Matt Weiss, he's not alone in those that are taking on many of the responsibilities that you had by yourself as the A's move forward. Well, this job has become so much more now, and that's why part of it's split between Matt Weiss, Brian Davis, and Mike Cliffy Clavin. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of a lot of the guys that have worked for me and have moved on to other career opportunities. I've got, well, Nick Crawl was my bat boy. He's now the general manager of the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I've got a couple of guys that became attorneys. I had one that went to med school for a while and started making too much money with internet.com thing and developed websites. And he said he's made more than he could ever unless he was a brain surgeon. So I'm proud of that. Uh, a lot of those guys call, come back, say hello. Um, just been masters of taxation. Um, I had one guy that went to become an attorney and found out he could make more money uh, selling cars and opened up a, a string of car lots in Tucson and Phoenix, and now he owns a, uh, a company that uh, does robocalls, and he does quite well on that. So uh, that's a feather in my cap, and I'm, I'm always happy to see these guys succeed. One name that jumps off the page for me, because I have a relationship with him, because he lives down in Gilbert, Arizona. Our kids went to school together, played golf together. Scott Pruneau, who was one of your bat boys, and you talk about somebody that made an impact here in the Bay Area because he was the one who's the director of college scouting for the Warriors, and he's the one that recommended some skinny kid named uh, uh, Steph Curry to, to be to be drafted by the Warriors and what an impact that made on, on that organization and the fact that he was a bat boy for you way back when. Yeah, that, Scotty was a, a great kid and worked well here and uh, was able to move down to Arizona and still do the scouting from there, and now he does some part-time stuff for San Antonio and a couple other clubs. But he's another example of guys moving on. I mean, the director of travel and equipment uh, was my bat boy for the Warriors. And my bat boy, uh, Trevor Paulson, was, does the same job with the Milwaukee Bucks, the world champion Milwaukee Bucks. So, uh, again, guys that have worked for me moved on. Uh, I like to think they took a little bit of me with them. Uh, some of the guys that come back said I was the best boss they ever had. And, you know, that brings a little tear to your eye. You raised the daughter, Kayla, you and your wife, Val. And, I mean, she's uh, and, uh, doing such a great job in the community, working with uh, the SPCA here in the East Bay. Uh, and you talk about bringing, putting things in perspective. I mean, having, you know, raising your family and doing this and, and s seeing your work through their eyes. I mean, it's got to be really special for you. Well, <clears throat> retirement I've earned, retirement I'm looking forward to. But my daughter grew up in a small park. I think she'll be the one that's affected the most. She's a great kid, biggest baseball fan. She, if she really wanted to put her head to it, she might have been the first women general general manager. You never know. But uh, now they've already got one. But uh, she's a great baseball fan and a great kid. You know, Vuce, uh, we talk about celebrations, and that there have been disappointments as well. The A's getting to the postseason couldn't quite take it over the top sometimes or getting so close to not reaching it. But I think back... In the time I've spent here seeing the reunions of the 72, 73, and 74 teams, or thinking about the team that won 20 games in a row, and as the A's organization brought many of those people back together, and I just wonder what has gone through your mind as you see Sal Bando come back, who 
you as a kid saw him and watched him perform as a young player, and then what he grew into, and you multiply that by all those different names. Uh, you know, Joe Rudy, certainly Foss, who we all miss and, and uh, wish him all the best. Uh, Reggie Jackson, take your pick. What, when you think about those reunions, what does that mean you know, for this franchise, the reminder of just how beloved many of these players have been over the years? Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned the World Championship years. You mentioned the twenty game win streak and and I'm lucky enough to be going in the Hall of Fame next year with Sal Bando with Joe Rudy and with Eric Chavez who played in those both those teams that you mentioned but when you bring those guys back uh, it's a special bond I mean uh, only the Yankees have been able to go on and win three in a row since we did it uh, we might have gone farther if things had worked out a little bit better with Catfish Hunter but uh, see all those guys come back I see them and you know, we sit around and tell stories, and I was still a kid when those guys were winning championships in the 70s, but I was a, glad to be part of it. Now I play golf with Sal Bando during the winter, uh, so we talk about things. I see Reggie occasionally. He lives in Carmel. But I, I talk to Rudy. I talk to tennis. I talk to those guys. Kenny Holtzman drops a note once in a while. So um, those are very, very special times. And then we have the great reliever, Daryl Dulles, who listens to this podcast every week. <laughs> and we appreciate that very much. All the great stories that you've uh... – uh, enlightened us with and taken us inside some areas where we had had no idea what happened. One of the great stories in 54 years, and we have fun with it, looking back on it, 2007, the A's are at Fenway Park, and a outfielder by the name of Ryan Langerhands is pitching for the A's. And all the players you've seen, all the, all the numbers you've doled out for players and uniforms you fit them with, explain the Ryan Langerhands story, the fact that you didn't meet him at the time, but it took for him to be with a different team down the road to finally meet a guy, maybe the first time that a guy played for the A's that you didn't meet while he was an Oakland Athletic. Well, the A's were going to Boston for, I think, a two-game series, and I was staying back for a funeral, and I was going to join the team in Tampa the, uh, the, the day after they left Boston. Well, on that Sunday night, we make the trade for Ryan Langerhands, and I call Boston, make arrangements, get the uniforms made up because I'm not going to be there. We couldn't do it here on a weekend. So Ryan Langerhands joins us, and I kind of kid, I said, I just said, this is a guy I don't meet the first day. It was, that was kind of unusual itself. And then it turns out that uh, after the second game in Boston, we trade him off somebody else, and it goes on. And, of course, Fossey was a big uh, a big PR man for that, saying that's the only guy that Boost never met. And I got to, got to finally meet him when he was playing with Seattle later on. So it was kind of odd that I had met every player that came through here except one guy, and, and it was because I had to stay back and miss a three-game series or two-game series in Boston. Boos, this is an unfair question, but it's one I, th I think that we, we have to ask because you've been around since day one. And I know you've talked about how Catfish Hunter meant so much to you. He's been your favorite player in all the years of, of Oakland baseball. But if there was an all Boos team, an all Steve Boos and its team, whether it's you know picking going position by position or just picking players, whether they were stars, even someone that maybe wasn't a star, but for whatever reason there was a special connection to you, Steve, where would you go with, a, with an all Boos team since 1968? Well, just off the top of my head, obviously the captain would be Catfish Hunter. But all those guys are guys that treated everybody alike and it was just a pleasure to be with the entire career that they were in Oakland. And it's like Mark Ellis, uh, Mike Bordick, um, Kurt Suzuki, Kenny Holtzman, uh, Dennis Eckersley, Jason Giambi, just to start with a few. And guys that I, that I consider all pro and everything they did um, had fun, but uh, were serious between the lines and only cared about winning. The names you mentioned, some are Hall of Famers and some are very good players and some were just kind of players that got to the big leagues. But, but seeing all different kinds of players that have come through this clubhouse and seeing how they made an impact one way or the other and you, you've seen them 
you know, go on the field and perform. Uh, put that in perspective, just seeing the different kinds of players and what that meant you know, over a course of a 162-game season where guys are together more than they are with their families and trying to make it work and have the goal of uh, reaching October baseball. Well, when you go back to the 70s, those teams didn't have the amenities that the modern clubs have now, and we didn't have batting cages. Your only batting practice was on the field for 40 minutes before the game. So their work ethic was a little different, still focused on winning. And the joke was around those teams that were the fighting A's, and uh, they might fight with each other. I mean, they're like brothers because they all came up together in the minor leagues. But uh, they would fight, but they'd forget about it 20 minutes later like brothers would. And you go between the white lines and there were nine and ten guys together all the time. Now, move fast forward to some of the other championship clubs we had, same thing. But they were all focused on winning. And, and part of that also go back, goes back to the manager. And manager Dick Williams and Alvin Dark with the 70s teams and Art Howe uh, with the teams in the around 2000, but especially Tony La Russa with the 88, 89, 90 team. Uh, they ke- he's the one that kept them focused. A good manager does that. Bob Melvin does that with our club now, and that's why I've been in playoffs so many times since he's been here. Best memory of Charlie Finley? Um, maybe calling me, complaining about a, la- a laundry bill that was too high back in the days when long-distance calling was way expensive. Uh, he's, his two lines for me was... Uh, Steve, never pay a bill until you have to, and save your pennies to spend your thousands. And you're going to leave the Coliseum. And I know there's been so much conversation, especially again this year, about trying to get the A's into a better situation on and off the field with the new stadium. But when you think about this old, this old gal, the, the Coliseum, what comes to mind? Well, uh, I didn't know that stadiums had a 50-year life, but I guess with so many new stadiums coming about, uh, it really gets... Uh, knocked upon uh, not being having the modern amenities, although we have personally improved things here the last two years, and we're not sharing with the Raiders anymore, so we don't have to have to worry about, especially with the field long late season or postseason. But uh, I mean, I grew up watching this place being built. My dad and I were season ticket holders when the Raiders played in Candlestick Park, and then later Frank Yule Field, and we're original ticket holders here. And I didn't live but about three miles from here, and I watched it go up. Was excited. I was, then when uh, the hockey team started in the arena some few months after the Raiders uh, opened here before the A's came back, it was, it was an exciting team in Oakland. We had done better than San Francisco. That's why the Warriors ended up moving over to Oakland. The Seals over to Oakland. Um, they had the Cow Palace and Civic Auditorium. We had the beautiful new Coliseum Arena. We had a better stadium here than Candlestick Park or Keysar. So um, I think being an East Bay native, uh, I think it's an unfair thing what they say about the Coliseum. Uh, it has been remodeled and upgraded, but the things that get noteworthy with it was the floods we had, the sewage problems, and those are small and minute, and you know it, it happens once in a while about as often as a big earthquake. So, so uh, I think it's unfair to knock the Coliseum as being an unfit facility, but we do need a new stadium, and we need one with the modern amenities. All the World Series and the thing about baseball strikes that have happened, uh, you, you, you touched on the earthquake in 1989, the A's and the Giants over Candlestick, 9-11, which you know, changed uh, the world, and as did COVID, and it continues to do so now. We talked about that on our last episode. All these thoughts about how baseball has been a part of healing, been a part of kind of taking uh, everybody's hand and kind of helping them move forward. What does that mean to you, Vuce, that, that you've been a part of a – of an institution that that is uh, 
meant so much to this country. He meant so much about a healing process at some real difficult times. Well, Bart Giamatti was a pretty good writer, and the baseball series on uh, PBS was outstanding. And just watching that, it shows you how baseball is, uh, I mean, from World War II, so many of the baseball players had to go fight in a war, and then they came back, and how they were welcomed back. And uh, to see what went through with 9-11, with COVID, it's baseball is a healer. And I think one of the reasons for that is baseball is every day. You play it every day. Uh, it's not like football where it's just once a week. So you get a chance to see it, heal it, feel good about things more often. Baseball is uh, has probably changed less than football or basketball as far as rules. And we've added a DH and a couple other things like the 10th inning runner just to kind of shorten the games. That was done for last year because we didn't know what we were getting for players as far as how long they could last with a shortened spring training and then not coming back till July. So I think baseball is a great healer. Uh, I wish I had the words that Giamatti had, but uh, uh, it's it's been obviously big in my life and it's big in so many people's lives who never get involved in the game uh, on a personal level other than being a fan. Finally, Boost, a couple of quick questions as we uh, end our episodes of Memories with you. What are you going to miss the most? Uh, the friendships with people, media types, other club officials. Um, uh, no disrespect to Detroit and Cleveland, but I told those guys I don't know when I'm seeing them again because those aren't really vacation destinations. As I told the Red Sox and the Yankee people, I'll probably see them again. But uh, uh, the friends that I've developed, uh, national media, local media, uh, writers, front office people, that's what I'll miss the most. Uh, uh, it's funny, I went up to the stands last week, but I was just standing there looking and five or six people came by and wanted to get their picture taken with me. So I, they knew who I was. So that's why the, I always say the three F's in my, in my life are so important. That'd be family, friends, and fans. Finally, Boos, uh, you know, when you work in baseball, sometimes people don't understand uh, our, your friends, even very close friends, are having a barbecue. Won't you come over on July 4th? Well, I can. Well, we'll do it the next day. Well, we have a game the next day or Memorial Day or, or Labor Day, the way that certain holidays in the summer kind of marks the time. And as we're heading into, you know, into the fall season now around baseball, uh, you're going to get a chance to do some of these things. W what are you looking forward to? What's next for Steve Usinich? Well, there's eight of us. We've already got a cruise and a train trip planned from Vancouver to uh, Alaska and then a train trip up to Denali and a flight through the glaciers and stuff. So that's something you can't do in off-season in baseball. Uh, I'm going to visit some friends in Whitefish, Montana. Uh, just take some short trips. My daughter will be here, so we'll come back and forth a little bit. I want to get out of the heat of Arizona during the summer, so where's a better place to come than Northern California? I won't have to get here at 10 o'clock in the morning. I can get here right at game time. And uh, that's important to me. So I got a lot of little things I want to do. I want to go to Wimbledon. I'd like to go to the Masters. I just don't know if that's possible. I'll work on it. Um, I've got a friend that, that can connect me with uh, Wimbledon. Um, I've been to the Kentucky Derby. I've been to the Indy 500. There are a few things on my bucket list. Vusa, I've been so honored to, to, to be just kind of the narrator of, of this journey, and I appreciate all the time you've given me and, and given our fans to taking us inside the 54 years of, of your time with the athletics. It's, it's, it's meant a lot to me. It's meant a lot to my family. You've been great to my family, too. And uh, you're going to be missed. Well, thank you, Vinny. I'll miss, miss this right away, but miss seeing everybody every day. Episode 17, Memories with Vusa. We've done it all season. It's been fun fun to be a part of. Hope you've enjoyed all the stories from Steve. 54 years of A's baseball with Steve Vucinich. It's a long time. 
equipment manager retiring at the end of this 2021 season. You can hear all the memories of USAL 17 episodes, athletics.com slash acecast. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.